Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, the go-to podcast on how technology is implemented in healthcare around the globe, what challenges different entrepreneurs are facing in different markets, and what mistakes you can avoid when thinking about innovation in healthcare. Today's episode has three speakers. The legendary investor Esther Dyson, the first investor in Startup Health, a global digital health mover of change. After her thoughts, you will hear from founders of Startup Health, Unity Stokes and Stephen Krein, who shared their enthusiasm about a positive change in health management in the future. But first, Esther Dyson. As she says, she's not a big fan of technology. She is a proponent of big ideas, long-term projects with a positive influence on society. One of the projects she's invested in is Valviv, a 10-year program in chosen communities in the United States, investigating the impact of societal and environmental interventions for improving health and well-being of community members. You were one of the first investors in Startup Health. Uh, what convinced you at that time to invest in them? When I invested, they were really a previous company called Organized Wisdom that was putting basically reliable health data online, and it was an advertising business model. And then they kept meeting all these health startups and said, why don't we do this other thing as well? So I remember sitting with them and thinking, geez, you know, I don't know whether this thing is going to work, but you should always invest in the people, not the idea, because the people will make the idea work. So anyway, and I stuck with them, and I introduced them to Jerry Levin, who's their chairman, because he was this kind of boring business guy, and then he became a, his wife, who was here too, made him sleep more than four hours a night and basically transformed him. What kind of uh, problems or misconceptions do you often notice when it comes to looking for solutions for healthcare? The biggest problem is people think what I have is what people need and they don't ask what are the customer's problems. They're really not looking for your solution. They you need to understand how they define their problems and what they're looking for. And I mean, there was another example, software sales guy goes into an office and says, I have this amazing software. It's going to help you manage your billing and your scheduling and all your payment systems and so forth. And, you know, I can see in your office, you need it whatever, maybe it's smart enough to ask, you know, well, you're not buying it. Why aren't you buying it? And the answer is Alice. So Alice is this woman who's been working there for 20 years and she does the billing and the, and like, he's not going to fire Alice. So you need to understand why people do what they do before you can figure out whether what you've got is relevant to them. Yeah. I think there's uh, always this big question on to which extent do you ask the user what he needs uh, and to which extent do you observe the user and try to find a better solution for his work process. Because when it comes to, let's say, uh, IT development, the main idea is to tr see how things are working at the moment and try to figure out how they could be optimized. Yes, and that's very hard to sell because 
you're not addressing the user's concerns. So, I mean, it's a, it's a delicate balance, obviously, because the user may not know what better things there are, but at the same time, you need to understand their context and what is it that they're looking for, and they need to want what you've got. So you need to understand their point of view and position what you've got in a way that they want it, or maybe you know, maybe you shouldn't waste your time. Maybe you just got to wait until Alice retires. Yeah, there's a similar problem. Um, I uh, once heard of uh, from Austria where uh, you've got hospitals that could be uh, um, optimized uh, to a huge extent because they exceed the needs of the population. However, the problem is that um, that one big hospital is the biggest employer in the region. So if you would decrease the hospital, you would create unemployment. But what you could do is you could start offering diabetes prevention classes or you know, run a gym or there's a lot of other things that could happen in the hospital that are, depending on which country you're in, some of them are considered part of the healthcare system and some aren't. But why not have a gym in the hospital or a hairdresser salon or, I mean, who knows what, but, or a, a kindergarten class or something, but start doing something different from what the hospital traditionally does. What inspires you most when it comes to technology and innovations um, that are coming out lately? For example, uh, the things I'm kind of fascinated with are drones for uh, drug delivery or blood supply delivery that's used in Rwanda or voice recognition software that potentially can be used for making notes during the doctor's visit so the doctor is looking the patient in the eye instead of in the screen. Um. I'm not a big fan of technology. I, I come from that world. So I, I love things that are useful, but I'm more interested in solving the problems that people think they have. So, you know, I like really practical technology like helmets that expand when you hit the ground. Anything that automates stuff that should be automated. But... I'm more interested in kind of the, the social caregiving human aspect of it than the awesome technology. I mean, I love things that the thing I use my Apple Watch for the most is finding where my cell phone is. <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, that's really, really useful and it's pretty cool technology, but it's it's not exactly a drone. Not, not exactly what they had in mind when yeah. they designed it. No, I mean, but it's, it's not that I don't, as you know, I trained as a cosmonaut. I mean, I love cool science stuff, but I think people get overly excited about technology versus real utility. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing when it comes to excitement about technology is uh, this negative loop that I think we, we, we keep getting ourselves into. You know, you create something in the hope of a better future and then there's always this negative uh, consequence that comes uh, with it afterwards. Like, for example, fear of missing out, anxiety, comparison to others with social media. Uh, in that sense, I'm not quite sure... How much are we helping each other or how much are we really just creating new problems? I mean, this is the biggest problem that our human nature betrays us. 
you know, I mean, this technology, we can use it well or poorly. It's up to us. It's not the technology. You know, guns are different. Guns are fundamentally destructive. But this technology can do amazing things if we use it right. And it goes back to the, do we use it for short-term gratification or for long-term purpose? And if we, as individuals in a society, can use it for long-term purpose, it's great. It's amazing. It, I mean, my family, my stepmother came over from Germany. And so for years, she would telephone them two or three times a year on special occasions. And every once in a while, she would fly over. You know, I mean, now our entire family is connected by Facebook all the time, and it's great. Connecting people who are genuinely connected is very different from manufacturing an image for people you don't really know. When it comes to uh, practical problems in society, uh, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me a bit more about the Valvive uh, project. It's a 10-year project. It, it was announced in May of 2013 by me. We found these five communities in 2014, and then in 2015, it's sort of like we formally started. So it will end in 2024. And the goal of it is to show what it looks like, what kind of results you get when you actually invest in early childhood care and diabetes prevention and opioid reduction and stuff like that in a way that the different initiatives interact with one another. And the, the ultimate goal is to show society, let's think long-term and invest in this stuff instead of waiting until people get sick and then taking care of them. So how did you uh, design the programs for these communities? We help the community do it for themselves. It's just like if I'm going to be your, your uh, fitness coach, if I'm good, I'm not going to design it for you. I'm going to do the same thing I said earlier, listen to you. What is it you want? What is it that makes sense for you in your life? You know, how can you achieve your goals? Oh, well, I know this particular child care program they could come in and train your people, but it's, it's got to be done by the community itself or it's not going to work. How does the, the program actually look like in practice? So, for example, if I went to one of the communities today... You wouldn't see much, um, but at the YMCA in Muskegon, they have a diabetes prevention program that they're going to make, you know, they're going to offer more and more of it in more and more different places. You would see at Health West, they're training people to train teachers to be, quote, trauma-informed and work better with kids who've undergone trauma. In Lake County, you'd see police and medical people working together when someone on the street is drunk or having an overdose. Instead of taking them to jail, they give them medical treatment and coordinate and ultimately find them housing. We're still just beginning. It takes a long time to make these things happen. That's one of the things that I uh, am really interested in when it comes to a program like this. Let's take diabetes, for example, or obesity, or uh, healthy eating and lifestyle. It's easy to uh, think that you can design an app or something that's going to help uh, people track nutrition, but the, the real problem is that you would need to change the whole environment. Right, make... like what the stores sell yeah. and what the schools serve. Yeah, and so we're doing that. The whole point is it's not a single thing, but it's also not come here and sign up for the program because it's around you. It will happen to you even if you don't sign up for it as an individual. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's uh, so. It's really about changing the environment. The environment. Yeah. As I said before, with the unintended consequences um, and nutrition apps, I think nutrition apps can be great to a certain extent if they help you uh, realize and be educated about um, how uh, calorie dense a certain food is. But then there's that negative uh, feedback loop from uh, from the human perspective, where uh, you go running and then you feel like, oh, now I can have a donut, you know, because I used 300 calories. Um, that's why you need a program to help you, you know, deal with these issues and understand how it works, and and frankly, also a program where your friends are in the same program so that you support one another. Um, one of the things that were, were really interesting, and you mentioned them on the stage at the Startup Health Festival, was um, the issue with the children's uh, mental health. And you said that the biggest determinant of their mental health are their parents. What can you do there? You know, it's a big problem. How can you solve that problem? Um, there's, again, it's not a single thing. There's a lot of things to do. One is... In severe cases, you either train the parents or remove the children. Something like a diabetes prevention program, because it includes the social aspect of group, basically group therapy, it, it helps make the parents better parents without saying, you need mental counseling. You know, But if you're in a diabetes prevention program, you learn how to understand your own reactions you learn how to control yourself you probably cook better for your family you know like we're not making a perfect world but anything that contributes to making the parents more effective as parents is going to affect the children positively I really like the the way to well vive because it's it just addresses the thing that's actually really hard to solve you know it's like knowing that you have to change everything basically um, and that's not very inspiring if you're an entrepreneur I guess. No, and it's not it's not what unfortunately it's not profitable short term. Long term it is but for society, not for an individual. What do you think is the solution to creating a better society when there's no money in it? That's like the constant problem in healthcare. There is money in it long term for society. So society needs to decide we are going to pay for this long term. At the same time, offering these services should be profitable because society will pay you for them. I mean, it's the U.S. is a specific problem with our healthcare system and so forth. But like running a diabetes prevention program, yeah, the startups here doing that should be reimbursed by the U.S. government. That's that's what my question was today with the the two Anish Chopra. You know how how we reimburse diabetes prevention in this country, mm. and that's with luck that's going to change so that all these companies offering effective diabetes prevention programs will get paid for it, and that should be a huge market. It's like keeping people healthy should be a profitable endeavor if we do the payment system right. Big data makes it easier to know what's been effective and what hasn't. The big problem I think is the fact that profit seems to win in the end you know if you look at chains of fast food if you look at Japan they are one of the healthiest societies uh, in the world with the longest life expectancy but but they are uh, also 
facing the rise in fast food and all issues associated with it. As an economist, there's this word externalities. So that's the long-term costs or the long-term benefits. And we need to price the externalities back into our food. And also we need to price it into the wages we give to caregivers and make those wages higher because they provide long-term benefit. I think the, the fundamental question is still um, how can you prevent the society to just completely lose touch? Right, by having caregiving rather than apps. You know, giving children love and security so that they provide love and security to others. Uh, what kind of programs or solutions caught your attention lately? Something called Nurse Family Partnership. Another thing called Power of Two.NYC. Just reading a bunch of books about addiction and early childhood and stuff like that. So, The Biology of Desire by Mark Lewis. The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kock. Unbroken Brain by Maya Solovitz. And The Land of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. One thing is sure, we have more problems than solutions for healthcare. Any efforts towards changing that is welcome. Founders of Startup Health, Unity Stokes and Stephen Krein believe nothing is impossible. We just need to keep trying and collaborate. Startup Health is becoming an increasingly stronger global force for improving healthcare all over the world. The idea in the beginning was simple and very, very, very optimistic to improve health and well-being of every person in the world. If that seemed like a fantasy seven years ago, the organization came a long way by now. Startup Health connects 200 companies, so-called transformers, listed in 10 categories or as they call them, moonshots. Problems addressed are access to care, bringing healthcare costs to zero, cure disease and cancer, solve women's and children's health, improve health and fitness, brain health, mental health and happiness, achieving longevity and healthy aging. In essence, everything. And this is how Unity and Steven see that goal could be achieved. The Startup Health Festival uh, has just finished. Um, I know you guys are probably still under the impression of everything that has been happening. Um, what are your current first thoughts, first takeaways, first inspirations that um, you could share? The idea of uh, surrounding ourselves with people who have uh, the, the same mindset, this idea of a health transformer mindset that believe that we all working together can really improve the health and well-being of everyone in the world. The idea that we stack the room with these kinds of people really makes it easy to feel more energized after two days here than I think anywhere else you could go and spend your time, especially, um, you know, this week in, in San Francisco. So I, I'm feeling great, feeling really good. You know, to be around um, health transformers, to be around entrepreneurs and their energy and their passion and and hear their stories, it it gives you uh, so much energy, it fills you with purpose, and it it really um, expands your, your mind. Um, when you bring them all together, and you put them all in one room together, something really powerful happens, and, and it gives me a lot of hope on, on where we're going uh, as an ecosystem in the future. 
you started uh, seven years ago, right? Seven years ago this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven years ago. And at that time, the idea seemed almost like a dream, almost something impossible, you know, <laughs> improving the health of everyone seriously, curing cancer seriously. And here you are seven years later, 200 companies, 18 countries, six continents. What did you actually imagine seven years ago? Uh, and based on the current successes, how would you assess where you're going to be in seven years? Well, you know, we, we have this uh, 25-year vision that um, we feel like <laughs> seven years in, we're just getting started. Um, I feel that um, while our vision has not changed one iota, I think we have used words and figured out the exact words to describe this vision in ways that really has become a magnet to attract um, the kinds of people that we want to be around and having no tolerance, quite frankly, for people who don't have the the health transformer mindset because if you're not batteries included giving energy to what is really touching all of our lives, it's kind of hard to imagine why you would want to spend your time there. And so after seven years, um, I feel more confident and more ambitious. We've brought together this huge network of, of, of partners for these entrepreneurs with capital and uh, commercialization opportunities and just others who want to support them just as much as we do. And so it's now this huge movement, a real movement to reimagine health. And so um, each year, if you ask me, you know, what we want to do, uh, you know, what our goals are for the next year, it's to keep doing more of the same and uh, continue improving and making it easier for us to achieve um, all of this progress in a fraction of the time. Where do you see the practical results of the companies that you support? You've got uh, 10 moonshots. If you would want to um, name examples, where do you see the most impact after seven years? Well, when you, you talk to each of these health transformers and you start to hear about the, the impact that they're making, you know, we were just talking to the, the folks from Baby Scripts and they're, they're saving babies' lives and they have on their wall letters from mothers of, of pregnancies, children that have been saved because of what they're doing. And I, I could literally say the same thing about many of our, our uh, companies. They have these stories. And when you break it down to the impact that they're making, what they're doing, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, Stephen, you, you have a background in law. What attracted you to come to healthcare? <laughs> He was also I, I, a magician when yeah, he was 12. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I actually graduated law school and not only, uh, I should say, not even four months after um, graduating, started my first, uh, my real first startup. Um, you know, uh, my brother, sister, and I, we each um, were given a choice by my parents whether we wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor. It was no other choice. Um, and uh, I, I say that only from the perspective of really understanding that getting out of school and getting educated with those kinds of backgrounds opens up all kinds of opportunities. But I never had an ambition to be a lawyer, but the education was incredible. And um, now being a lifelong entrepreneur, now 25 plus years, um, 
the idea of practicing law was never part of my agenda. You know, I, I really started my first company right out of law school and, and never did anything other than entrepreneurship in my so career. So law school was like rebelling against your parents and then you were like, yeah. but I like you guys, so I'm going yeah. back to healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I was actually just talking to my parents. Um, my my dad, who uh incredible guy, was never an entrepreneur, um, but uh, he's now 86. Uh, he and my mother, who's... Um, a uh, little younger, but uh, both of them were talking about wellness back in the 80s when it was not a popular term or word. And I remember my dad talking about starting a wellness company in, in the mid-80s. And ironically enough, you know, talk about how impressionable children are. Um, my mom is a physician's assistant and completely, you know, committed her life to uh, helping people. Um, but that experience at that age for me set the stage for, I think, what kind of entrepreneur I wanted to be and what kind of area and what kind of space I wanted to be in. And so being an entrepreneur in health really did play right back to my parents, um, exp- exposing us as children, my brother and sister, who are also part of Startup Health um, as our chief medical officer and our um, general counsel. One thing that I'm uh, um, interested in is usually how cultures intersect and what we can learn from each other. So from your perspective, um, 18 countries, six continents, what do you see we can learn from uh, other entrepreneurs from other? There's a, a, a global opportunity in health and the opportunity to transform health everywhere in the world. And we believe that uh, when you start to connect these siloed innovation hubs around the world, when you bring these entrepreneurs together, when you start sharing data and insights, anything is possible. And, and we believe that some of the great innovations over the coming years are going to happen all over the world. And the innovation cycles will speed up and leapfrog by thinking globally. Which country inspired you most so far? Each region has its own assets that are exceptional. So when you you look at um, uh, Finland, uh, they've got extraordinary um, mobile health and uh, going on because of all the mobile engineers that have come out of companies like Nokia. Um, when you look at what's going on in China and India right now um, around mobile um, and around the adoption of just extraordinary um telemedicine technologies, um, new business models in, in uh, countries like uh, Africa and India. Each uh, region has its own special um, assets going on. So I, I think there's a lot to learn by sharing that around the world. Do you guys have a favorite moonshot? There's 10 different. I have no favorite children. They're all my favorite. Uh, I love all 10 moonshots. You know, I, I think what's, what's, um, important about the concept of health moonshots is it's about an aspiration. It's about a dream. It's about impossible dreams. And each of our moonshots has the ability to impact at least a billion people's lives. So when you gather them all together, that's how we get to improving the health and well-being of everyone in the world. They're all important and they're all interconnected access and cost to zero and women's health and children's health and longevity and ending cancer and ending disease and brain health and mental health and well-being and happiness they're connected so it's it, it's it's really um one 
big audacious dream that together with our army of health transformers we're going to make possible. Where do you think uh are we can we expect uh fastest short term results and what are the areas are that are uh, still obviously the biggest challenge? Each of these 10 moonshots um, I believe are just getting started where it just entered over the past couple of years, this epic moment in time where the idea that um, you can select an area and actually with the data and the technology and the kind of collaboration that's now available, see that over the next decade or two that you can actually move the dial. Maybe uh, one last question, a provocative one. Ted talks. We like that. Provocative is good. <laughs> What's impossible? You know, like I, that I have this commercial from, from TED Talks in my head and it always starts with somebody from one of the talks saying we had to believe in impossible things. And I think that's kind of where you started at. You obviously think I a mean, lot is possible. Nothing's impossible. You ask an entrepreneur what's possible. I mean, anything's possible except that you have to be completely committed to achieving it um, because nobody knows what's going to work and what's not going to work. Nobody knows... Um, exactly how to do it. But the idea that you set a goal that might seem impossible to many people, true entrepreneurs, um, when they set their mind to something, they will figure out how to get it done. And quite frankly, whenever, and I've been an entrepreneur 25 years and not everything works um, by a long shot. However, um, the zig and the zag is the fun part. And um, an entrepreneur who quote unquote gives up and gives up you know, entrepreneurship and just would rather uh, work at an organization or work in academics. No, 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 nothing wrong with that, except that's not being a lifelong entrepreneur. Believe and persist. Anything is possible. So when you believe you're right and everybody else is telling you that you're wrong, what do you do? You, you, you tickle yourself because you feel like, wow, this we're on to something that nobody else has figured out. And uh, we we know that that we're usually on to something at that point. What would be your advice or your encouragement to those companies that potentially applied to Startup Health but didn't get in? Keep to, to keep trying and don't give up. It's about long a long-term commitment. And there's no one that doesn't get in to Startup Health. It's when do you get into Startup Health. If you continue on, if you if you're self aware uh, and coachable and recognize that um, there's a reason you weren't accepted, and and you know it could be as simple as your mindset is not aligned with ours, and you don't embody, or, or I should say, you don't have the ambition to embody the the mindset that we have seen and proven now that is required to achieve health moonshots, um, or it could be more substantive, like you just don't have enough. Uh, of your team built out because you're a one man or one woman show, which is another reason some people don't get in, um, or uh, or you know one of the big ones, and and this is the depth of the mindset one, which is if you're if you're if you're expecting startup help to do something for you versus for you to contribute and be a part of something special, so that there's an army and a community there to support you in a program and a platform that really can be over the long haul incredibly valuable. You don't believe in that then um, it might not be the right fit, Not might not be the right fit, which is okay. But we're, um, we're always very transparent with why you're not accepted. Um, I find to be, quite frankly, some of the 
most exciting entrepreneurs to work with are the ones that kept trying and basically improving with the feedback that we gave them. And um, we are, you know, we are at our core entrepreneurs ourselves. And so we're always rooting for the entrepreneur and startup health holds the entrepreneurs and health transformers at the top of the, they're, they're at the top of the, 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 the pedestal for us. Every day that we don't accept someone, we're always asking ourselves why and how can we do something to give them some feedback to get them ready for and able to, uh, ultimately get into startup health yeah and if they if they continue on and and take that feedback and grow and evolve and then we want to continue to support them and with those words keep dreaming keep working and keep listening to faces of digital health stay tuned subscribe in itunes or podbean and if you have a topic or speaker you think might have something interesting to say let me know on twitter under the name at zajctjasa Stay tuned.